What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Coming to y'all um, again a bit later than usual. Um, you know, didn't have time to record you know, last night after the game. Um, Duke UNC, which we'll recap here in a minute, didn't have time. Uh, this morning or this afternoon was running around a lot. So, um, you know, finally able to sit down uh, here at about 7.30 on Friday. Uh, three games in the books today. One yesterday. A big one. Number one versus number two. Duke versus UNC. Joe Robertson calls game. Um Overtime winner there for Robertson, um, which I believe was his seventh of the day, um, seventh point of the day um, there. And, you know, just absolutely unbelievable, um, unbelievable game from Robertson. Um, as well as Owen Caputo, who had two goals. Um, Brennan O'Neill had two goals as well. Um, this is an unbelievable game. Unbelievable game from both squads. This, you know, this game really did live up to the hype. It really did live up to the hype. Uh, Joe Robertson got the stat sheet up here now. Four goals, three assists, so uh, that final goal was his seventh point. Indeed, uh, Caputo, O'Neal, and Williams each had two goals. Aiden Denenza with two assists for the Blue Devils. On the Carolina side, Justin Anderson with uh, and Nikki Solomon and Chris Gray with three points, two goals, one assist each. There um, for the Tar Heels, Zach Tucci, one goal, one assist. Tanner Cook, two goals. Uh, Tucci, obviously being a face-off man there, uh, he did not put – he took the majority of the draws this game. Uh, Tyler took only three, one for three. Tucci was nine for 22. Jake Naso stood up to the challenge, um, and he flourished 15 for 24. That's a 63% uh, win percentage for the freshman against what's been considered this year one of the better face-off units um, and like, holistic face-off units in the country. Um, not just the ACC, but the entire nation. Um, and Naso stood up to that, and, and he played one heck of a game. Um, but beyond what we saw from each offense, which was fantastic, and beyond the we'll, – we'll talk about the defensive play here in a minute because um, I, I think that that last play was – I don't want to say it encapsulated Carolina's night defensively, but it showed, I think, where the weakness had been all night um, to an extent. But before we talk about that, before we get into um, 
looking at the defensive play, which I thought was fantastic from both sides, we've got to acknowledge the play in goal because the goalie play in this game is some of the best that we've seen all season. Colin Krieg ended the night with 14 saves. And Adler ended the night with 17 saves, 12 of which came in the first half. Both goalies were standing on their heads all night long. Fantastic goalie play. The, the like overarching highlight of this game was the goalie play that we saw. 14 saves for Colin Creek. 17 saves for Mike Adler for Duke. No, we knew coming in, both of these goalies were very good and very capable. And they just proved that time and time again on Thursday night. Now back to the defenses. There's been a so obviously both offenses got their fair share. It was a back and forth battle all night long. No team had more than a two goal lead. I think it was a Carolina two goal lead with about seven minutes, I want to say, left in the third. M- might have been sooner than that. I think it was about because it was probably about 10 minutes left, uh, to be exact there. But early-ish in the third, Carolina goes up two. And that's the last time that anybody has more than a one-goal lead. Because Duke's able to come back. We see, we see Duke miss on, well, the one opportunity late. So Caputo, he cut it to tied it up or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He put Duke up by one, and then I think it was yeah uh, Justin Anderson puts Carolina. He he has the only goal of the fourth quarter um, to tie it, and Duke late in this game. Has two opportunities to, to win the ball game late in regulation. One, Donowski calls a timeout before Dyson Williams releases the shot. There's a ground ball scrum in front of the cage. Williams comes up with it, stings the back of the net. However, Donowski, one of those oh no timeouts that uh, <laughs> we sometimes see. They then had an opportunity coming out of that timeout. Bernard O'Neill hits pipe. We're going to overtime. Duke wins the first draw, uh, the only draw of overtime. Jake Naso gets the face off. They go down and timeout. Which, by the way, I, I don't know where y'all stand on this, but like the PLL has got it right. Get rid of timeouts in overtime. Um, I know... Some coaches like it or whatnot, but my thing is, what, like, like, what are you gonna? So, do you not plan for what's gonna happen? 
in that uh, time that you have to talk to your team in between periods? Like, do you, like, like, what are you going to draw up that you couldn't have drawn up already? You know, like, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. I, I, like, do you not, uh, whatever. But PLL's got it right. NCAA follow suit. Please. Beyond that, we had Duke call a timeout. They then, uh, Krieg, believe had a, yeah, Krieg had a save there um, in that overtime period. Think I want to say Duke got two shots off on that first possession. Um, and then I think one went wide, and then you had Krieg save, I think it was an O'Neal shot, like on the doorstep, um, a, a, a closer in. Um, Carolina goes down. They get two really good opportunities. Um, the second shot, Chris Gray, like, he misses wide, but, like, he doesn't miss the cage. Um, it, it goes wide right, but he doesn't miss it by much. And the first one, I mean, the save that Adler had there, it, it's on the doorstep. Like, it, this is one of those shots where you're like, oh, this is going in. Mike Adler had the audacity to stand there, and I think it was it, like it was right five hole, and, and he has the audacity to just say, "No, sir, you are not going there." And um, uh, unbelievable save there, Un- unbelievable play um, defensively f- from both of these teams late in the game. However, you know, and if you if you go back and watch the game, you notice. The picks that both the pick game from both offenses was working, especially in late in regulation, second half. I mean, it, it was working very well. Duke was able, I mean, you had Michael Sowers out there setting picks for Owen Caputo. I think that happened twice on the wing, and Caputo cashes in. Uh, we saw Carolina have picks set for Chris Gray from behind the cage like they do, um, and, and some on the wing as well. And, and the pick play that we saw from both of these offenses I thought was very impressive, and and what they were really able to break down um, the defenses, specifically the zone defenses from both of these teams um, with that kind of play, with that kind of two-man game, So I, 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 specifically on the wings. And so I, really th- I thought that was very impressive from both offenses, and something that really stuck out, especially in the second half, um, and, and really a reason why we saw this back-and-forth play, um, aside from the fact that these are two of the best offenses in the country, um, just the way they operated uh, just really spoke to that and, and really proved that even more. Um, now, defensively for Duke, obviously they won the game. You had Adler with 17 saves. I thought they left him exposed sometimes. I thought that zone broke down sometimes, which is going to happen. You're not going to play. You're never, ever going to play a 100% perfect game. But you have to limit your um, breakdowns, if you want to call it that, obviously. Carolina, they had a breakdown at the worst possible time. 
looking at the screenshot here. 52 seconds left on the clock when Joe Robertson gets the pass behind the cage from Michael Sowers. Robertson has a shorty on him. Will Bowen is on Brennan O'Neill, is what it looks like. And Dyson Williams, um, you know, cuts up top, uh, cuts through. Number, I think it's 23, I want to say, that missed the slide. Um, I'm going to roll this tape here real quick. Um, Yeah, 23, that misses the slide. Um, and at first I thought, you no, know, and I even tweeted, I was like, they left a shorty on an island against Joe Robertson, but, and, but, you know, Terry Foy, inside of cross pointed out to me, he's like, no, they missed the slide. And when you watch it back, you can, you can see Will Bowen yelling at 23 to go. Will Bowen's the second slide. He has to go. He's too late. Joe Robertson falling down. You know, beats his man, g- gets underneath him, is falling down and puts it in for the game winner. That's a defensive breakdown. Um, I don't want to say some people have said we well, know that encapsulates the um, the night for Carolina's defense. You, you you know you flash one second and you break down another second. I don't know if I'd put it like that, but. That's definitely the most significant, certainly, breakdown that we saw from them. Um, and they did have a number of breakdowns on that zone uh, defense. And, Carol- and Smith Duke, uh, you know, w- w- was able to weave through that and break through it um, all night long. So an impressive play uh, from the Duke offense there. That's enough. Carolina Duke talk. Oh, yeah. Circle May 2nd. Circle May 2nd. Um, definitely circle May 2nd. The rematch in this one, All Tobacco Road rivalry. Now, moving on to Friday's games. We had three games today, and I'm not going to... I I didn't really get to watch any of these. I saw part of Delaware, um, which Mike Robinson, oh, my gosh. Seven goals, one assist, I believe. Unbelievable performance from him yet again um, as Delaware takes down Fairfield 16-11. We saw Detroit Mercy beat Canisius 13-5. And then we saw St. Bonaventure get their first ever conference counting win. And their second ever win in program history, beating, I would say upsetting, certainly upsetting, Manhattan 9-8. to St. Bonaventure upsets Manhattan. Um, Sean Westley, three goals to assist. Um, shout out to him. Fantastic game from him. Austin Blumbergs, who's been one of the crucial guys for St. Bonaventure since that first year as a program. He came in and was an impact player as a freshman, uh, had a hat trick in this one. And, look, Manhattan, very good defensive team. Uh, They've shown that. Um, And and certainly, Brendan Krebs, uh, with 10 saves, uh, continues to 
have put up good performances in cage, but but Dobson, 15 saves in cage for St. Bonaventure, uh, really making a difference there as they get uh, you, you know a, a, a humongous win for them. And, you know, to start the season, they beat Detroit Mercy to, uh, was it Detroit Mercy? It was not Detroit Mercy. I cannot remember who they beat, but um, in that first week, but they got their first win. Um, Cornerpiac is who it was. Okay, they beat Cornerpiac um, to get their first ever win in program history, and now to get your second ever win against Manhattan, who had just beat Monmouth a week prior to take that top spot there um, in the MAC. Now, um, I mentioned on. Thursday uh, on Tuesday's show, or actually Wednesday, um, that Marist was on. Marist is not on for this weekend. News broke after recording that episode that um, a couple hours after that, Marist has extended their voluntary um, lockdown to Sunday. Um. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, hashtag free Marist. Um, you know, if you want to read more about it, I, I've, I addressed it in my weekend preview on lacrossebucket.com, uh, NCAA, you know, you know, what to watch week nine. Um, so I, I addressed it in there, um, the, the situation at Marist. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, to be putting not only the the athletes but the, the whole student body in that uh, situation when you're not even close to the threshold of uh, you know it, they're not even close to the threshold needed uh, to be met for a school to shut down um, or have a pause or lockdown whatever you want to call it in the state of New York. Um, you know, we're seeing fans go back to stadiums. We're seeing mask mandates being lifted. We're seeing all of this stuff. Um, and, and for Marist to continue to, you know, enforce a tyrannical lockdown on not only the, the, the athletes, um, but just the entire student body is uh, ridiculous and, you know, certainly something that I. Uh, you know, no one is happy about. And I've talked to multiple people um, around the program, from players to uh, parents, and and, and and nobody is happy. Nobody understands it. Um, you know, zero cases on the lacrosse team. Uh, some teams have had little outbreaks here and there, but nothing to warrant a full lockdown at this moment. Um, would you know? Again, just an absolutely. A uh, ridiculous situation, um, and 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 a situation that honestly, you know, I I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm not saying that this should happen, but um, I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some kind of litigation against Marist um, later on this year because of this, um, especially if something does happen because of these kids being locked down in their dorms for almost a freaking month. On to a lighter night, a lighter note, um, a happier note. The games that we have this weekend, and we've got some freaking big games 
this weekend. And we're going to start here with the lone ACC game on, uh, well, this weekend. Obviously, we had UNC Duke. And on Saturday, we will have Carol, uh, we will have Notre Dame and Syracuse. With Syracuse, uh, excuse me, um, Syracuse hosting Notre Dame in the Dome. Uh, lone ESPNU game on Saturday. You know, both teams come into this contest on, on a similar path, uh, coming off a loss. Notre Dame fell to Virginia last weekend in the ACC opener. Uh, in that contest, we saw Will York really step up, five goals there, um, including three of their first seven uh, to help really spark that offense. Syracuse, they fell to Duke in an overtime. Uh, it, well, actually, it was not overtime. It was a one-goal game um, there uh, on that last-second shot from uh, – who had that shot for Duke? But cannot remember that, but – um, the orange, you know, showed the cardiac cues ways in that one down 12, five, come back to, to tie it, um, there. And, and we saw, uh, Danny Varello, you know, do pretty well at the faceoff dot in the third to help spark that orange comeback. Steven Rayfish, Chase Scanlon, the usual suspects there put up 11 points combined in that one. Um, you know, with... With this being the biggest game ACC-wise of the weekend, you know, obviously a lot of eyes are going to be on this one. And, you know, I usually try to pick out a spot where I think one team has an edge and another doesn't. Or try to pick out the strengths of each team. And honestly, and I've watched every game of both of these teams, like, and much like... The, the ACC all year, like I think this is this is going to be a neck and neck game, um, unless we see Kyle Gallagher absolutely dominate the faceoff dot, like he did back at UPenn. Unless we see that, and look, we didn't see that on flat on uh, last weekend. Virginia was able to neutralize him. Petey Lasala had his best game of the freaking season against. Kyle Gallagher. So, and while, yeah, the Notre Dame offense got going, you know, it wasn't that same way. And certainly the defense helped to spark that uh, with Liam Intamin and Cage and, and Kyle Fulton, um, uh, another UPenn transfer, leading the charge at uh, pole at close defense. Um, so, you know, I, I think really what we need to see for Notre Dame to win this is what they looked like second quarter on um, against Virginia because they were very good. They were sound. They were solid. I think if they can avoid a slow start um, like we saw last weekend, which, look, some people have chalked it up to, oh, they hadn't played anybody yet. They'd been in some close games, though. Um, They'd been in some tight games like in the first half. Um, And certainly the talent – of Robert Morris, Bellman, Cleveland State, Marquette is not the same as Virginia, Duke, Syracuse, Carolina. Um, they still were tested to an extent in terms of the fire that the opponent brought um, in most of those games. But I think that is it, it. You know, 
I don't subscribe to that 100%, but I do think it's valid to mention that Notre Dame, their strength of schedule has not been what Syracuse's has been, what Virginia's has been, what Carolina's has been, what Duke's has been. So, you know, is this is this going to be another game where we see them kind of crawl to a slow start, get adjusted to that ACC pace, um, going against that ACC pace, I should say, um, as well, and 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 catch fire late in the game. And if that does happen, can they in turn win instead of the result last week? For Syracuse, I think it's a similar it's a similar situation where Syracuse, outside of I would say Vermont, Stony Brook, those games that, that they won, Holy Cross, and and won. Vermont was a battle to the end. It was neck and neck the whole way, but they played a complete game. And the Syracuse defense, coming into the season, I was a bit higher on them than others. Now that we've seen what they are, you know, I'm certainly not high on them at all at the moment. Um, Mitch Wyckoff has looked good. Brett Kennedy has had his moments. Uh, but outside of Drake Porter, if and I've said it before on this podcast, if Drake Porter is not in cage for Syracuse, I'm not sure they beat, well, they certainly lose to Army, okay? And Drake Porter played a horrific game in that one. But they might lose to Vermont. They... They probably still beat Holy Cross and Stony Brook, but they might lose to Virginia. They will lose to Duke greater uh, by a um, higher point margin than just one goal. Like he, it, like he keeps his defense set. He keeps his defense like he is the Syracuse defense. Is, is what I'm trying to get at. So. He's got to bring it. And this is a Notre Dame offense that we know when they get into the groove, they can be as deadly as as they want to be. Um, you know, well, Will York, um, I believe he leads the team in goals. And, and we knew coming into the season what he was able to do um, based on what he did at Bucknell. So for me, Syracuse, They've got Pat Cavanaugh has 21 assists. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, Syracuse for me has got to play a complete game. If they don't play a complete game, if, if and especially defensively, if Drake Porter takes the first quarter off or, or, or whatever, they're going to lose this game because this Notre Dame – or I should say they are, they would likely lose this game because we've seen, again, I'm, I will mention the Notre Dame um, schedule. Again, don't fully subscribe to that, but I think there's some uh, validation in that argument. So, you know, however you want to mark it up, whoever you think has the edge or, or will come out on top, this is going to be one heck of a game, and I expect it to be neck and neck like we've seen with a lot of these ACC games 
Um, you know, I don't expect to see a Syracuse Virginia ever again this season. Um, you know, obviously, you know, guys missing or injuries aside, you know, all things staying neutral, I I would not expect to see that ever again because these teams are rolling. Um, but certainly going to be a good one there in the Dome at noon on ESPNU. Syracuse hosting Notre Dame in the Dome. Syracuse comes into this one, I think they're 1-2 and two, um, in the ACC, in ACC play. Um, and then Notre Dame is 0-1 in ACC play, having lost their opener against Duke last Thursday. The last couple of games that I want to fully break down um, or dive deep into are a, a pair of Patriot League battles um, involving the service academies. And um, I can't remember where I saw this. Oh, it was inside lacrosse. I think Matt Kinnear, um had it. I think I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline. It said separation weekend in the Patriot League. And, and that's certainly true. Uh, that is certainly true because we have got Army playing Lehigh. And then we have Navy playing Loyola. Um, I'll get into this Army-Lehigh game first and foremost. Um, Army, you know, top 15 squad, top uh, top five at the moment. Uh, another top 10. Uh, they traveled to Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania, to tra- uh, to face uh, Lehigh. Um, Lehigh currently sits atop uh, the South Division uh, with a 3-0 Patriot League record. 4-0 record overall. And they're coming off a pretty good 15-10 win over Colgate. Um, in which we saw Tommy Schelling put up five goals, um, one assist. Mike uh, Sisselberger has continued to dominate. Went 67% in that one um, at, at the faceoff dot. And like, like Army, they come into this one. Um, I believe they played Holy Cross last week. Um, actually, let me pull up the schedule real quick. Um, and obviously, Brendan Nickturne, you know, being one of the better, uh, one of the best players, I should say, in not only the Patriot League, but in the country, um, you know, having that really good offense there, uh, 31 points for the junior coming into this contest, we've also seen Bobby Abshire and Nicholas uh, Edinger there, uh, you know, be very good contributors contributors for that Army um, offense. And well, yes, both of these teams have really good offenses, um, and I think I think there's a clear advantage at the faceoff dot for Lehigh, which is why I'm. Like, I, I, like, I love watching Army play. I love watching this, their offense go. Obviously, I love watching their defense, which we'll get to here in a second with both defenses. Um, but I, you know, I, I've got to think if, if Sisselberger, um, can can do what he's been doing. They're at the face-off dot, um, as well as, as Gaffney. Um, who hasn't been as uh, as big of a contributor this year, um, and, and Brock as well. 
uh, Matt Block, who uh, has been kind of the secondary guy um, with obviously Gaffney missing, uh, Connor Gaffney missing, I think the was it the first or second game, um, and Sisselberger has taken over. Um, and like look at the Lehigh faceoff unit versus the Army faceoff unit, and Stephen Graber uh, has done a solid job recently. Uh, James Pryor has been you know, hit and miss. Obviously, 38% on the year is not very good. Um, outside of those two, they don't really have anyone that can want to draw. They don't have anyone who's won a draw all season outside of those two guys. So I think certainly Lehigh has the advantage at the faceoff dot, and that's clear as day. Uh, but both these offenses, I think, are pretty freaking, pretty freaking even. Like, pretty freaking even. And these defenses might be even more even, um, to be honest with you. Um, Lehigh has, Army has the number eight scoring defense in the nation with you know, Marcus Hudgens you know, being in the top pole. I think he's a top 10 guy in either ground balls or cost turnovers. Can't remember on that uh, stat there. Don't have that pulled up at the moment, but. Um, you know, Marcus Hudgens has been a guy that I've, you know, we, we watched kind of have a breakout season last year, and he's continued that here in 2021. Uh, Lehigh has the number three scoring offense and the number five scoring defense in the country. So we got the number eight defense in Army and the number five defense in Lehigh. And while both of these closed defense units are just, will, will eat you alive, um, the play in cage that both of these teams have gotten over the years and have gotten this year is just phenomenal. Army, I don't care who it is, like, get me some old average Joe off the street, put an Army Black Knights uniform on him, put him in goal, and I'm going to say, well, he's going to turn into an All-American because that is what continues to happen. That is what seems to happen with Army every single year. Wyatt Schubert playing phenomenal, as expected. Uh, for Lehigh, James Spence uh, has been phenomenal in cage there um, as well. So the defensive battle that these teams, like this could be a low-scoring game. And while I mentioned, you know, I think Lehigh will win because of that face-off advantage. Remember, a lot of times, a solid, a, a top five, a solid defense will neutralize your um, deficit at the face-off dot. So that is something to keep in mind because, um, you know, while I do think Lehigh comes out on top, I don't think it's by much. Uh these teams are almost a mere reflection of each other um, in how they play and in how they've looked this year and where their production is coming from, not only offensively but defensively as well. Uh, so, you know, this is an exciting one in the Patriot League. Another exciting one in the conference uh, is going down in-state is it a rivalry, would you call? Well, I have to just say in-state contest. Uh, in-state interconference, uh, in-state conference battle. 
between Loyola and Navy. Navy comes into uh, this contest with a 3-0 record. Uh, obviously, all three games being in, was all three games in conference play? Yes, all three games have been in conference play, I uh, believe. Oh, actually, no. They The first game was against Mount St. Mary's, so uh, 2-0 in conference play, I believe. Um, and they're coming off a 13-10 win over Bucknell. Um, no, defense has been the identity of the midshipmen all year, number two nationally in, in, in scoring defense. Um, Spencer Lees is a top three goalie in the country um, in, in goals against average and safe percentage. Um, and, and then kind of, you know, what we've seen from Jackson Bonitz um, at close, I think has been like everyone's talking about Owen Hiltz. Everyone's talking about, um, you know, some of these offensive freshmen that we've seen, Brennan O'Neill, um, guys like that. Hey, I, I, Jackson Bonitz has an argument for best freshman. Like, the dude's been playing out of his freaking mind all season long and continues to. Um, you know, he's I mean, he's been, uh, I would call, somewhat of a revelation um, and emerged as not only one of the best freshman defensemen, but one of the best defense, defensemen overall in the country. And he came into a unit that was already pretty pretty solidified um, with the guys around him. And, and he's worked very well there um, defensively for this, for this um, Navy defense alongside guys like Nick Flanchuk. Um, and certainly Spencer Lee is doing the same, uh, not as a freshman, but as a first-time starter in cage and having to replace uh, Ryan Darby, which I would say is one of the <laughs> taller tasks um, that he'll ever have to do um, as a player, uh, or has had to do as a player. For Loyola, you know, they are offensively, we, we, we've seen kind of a Loyola, I feel like, has never been consistent this year. Certainly, they've grown and gotten better, um, but they're coming off a 7-6 loss against Towson in which they just did not look like themselves. Um, offensively, defensively, like they just did not look like themselves. They lost to Lehigh 10-6. You know, I... I just don't know what Loyola team is going to come to play in this one. Like, like I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it's what we saw against Lafayette and uh, against Bucknell and against Utah. Against well, Richmond was a pretty bad game, but I, I I'm hoping it's what we've seen in their wins. Certainly against Bucknell, the most recent win where they just went off. Um, I'm hoping for you know that they show up like that and this is a good game, but I I just don't know what Loyola team is going to show up. Aiden Olmstead is, has been solid. Kevin Lindley has been solid. Outside of that, I mean, Evan James, Peter Swindell have both been good. Um, but outside of those four offensively and Cam Wires, 
um, on the defensive end, and, and, and Schaefer has, you know, I, I've mentioned Schaefer a lot this year, and I think he's certainly been a very good uh, goalie um, and has continued to grow and, and prove why he's, I would say, a top, probably a top four, top five goalie in the Patriot League. Um, I would probably put Schuppler, Lees, and Spence above him. I, what order, I, I don't know, but I would certainly put those three above him. And, and, and look, Schaefer has been good. He's flashed just like this team. Um, and, and defensively, I think he's – him and Wires have been the probably the two most consistent – pieces of that uh of that defense but you know again he hasn't even been um you know he he's had a 40 percent game this year uh mostly above 50 but he did have that one game obviously against virginia um but it's been kind of up and down the the shots that he's faced this year so um i'm interested to see how he looks um against this navy offense which honestly like i'll be honest with you I'm not that impressed with this Navy offense from what they've shown. Um, and granted, they've, they had that uh, two-week pause, uh, which I think kind of threw some things off because they looked, I thought, better in their opening couple ga- in their opening two games than their last game. So we'll see how they continue to work back into things here. Um, but certainly going to be a good one there in the Patriot League, Navy, and Loyola, uh, and then also I mentioned earlier we talked about Army and Lehigh. So two big ones there in the Patriot League. Now, um, before we get into the last topic here, I want to mention some other games to watch here. UMBC versus Vermont uh, after going 1-1 one one against Binghamton last week. Uh, the Retrievers, they're looking, uh, they'll host the Catamounts. Um, you know, got to think Vermont wins this one, but I, I expect it to be a pretty decent one. Vermont comes in as the lone unbeaten team in America East play, has a top 10 scoring offense in the nation, the top 25 team, uh, top 20 team, I should say. Um, so that'll be a good one in the America East. Bryant and Hobart, two of the top teams in the NEC. Uh, meeting on Saturday at noon. Uh, you know, one of the more highly anticipated NEC contests of the season. Bryant is 4-0 and and riding into this one after an 11-10 win over Merrimack. Hobart is 2-1, and coming off a 13-9 win over Mount St. Mary's, looking to continually come back after taking that loss against LIU. B- uh, two big ones in the CAA, Drexel and UMass. Obviously, UMass coming in after that big win over um, Hofstra, and then Drexel coming in also um, also um, off a win. Uh, and, and this is one that um, a series that's been pretty good recently. Uh, the last full season, 2019, UMass topped Drexel 10 to nine in the regular season, and then Drexel upset UMass 15 to 12. In the CAA semifinals, so you know, while different uh, personnel, obviously based on the recent history between these two, and the fact they're both coming off wins, 
could be a good battle on a uh, close battle on Saturday. Uh, Hofstra and Towson. Towson looking to use that momentum uh, coming off that win over Loyola, upset win over Loyola um, to take down Hofstra. Hofstra obviously looking to rebound after that win. Uh, excuse me, after, after that loss on Tuesday against UMass. Now, I know you're all thinking, you know, talking about the weekend, okay, fit ACC, Page League, talked a bit CAA, talked a bit NEC. Who's the Big Ten? Well, here's the Big Ten right now. The big thing for, for me this weekend in the Big Ten is, you know, what the middle is going to look like. So, um, Penn State plays Maryland um, this weekend. And then we have support the Big Ten, support the old schedule here. So on Sunday, Johns Hopkins, Michigan. On Saturday, Rutgers, Ohio State. And then, as I mentioned, Penn State and Michigan. Um, this week, that particularly that um, Hopkins, Michigan game intrigues me. I think Maryland's going to win. I think Rutgers is going to win. I don't think we're going to see any change at the top two this weekend, but that Hopkins-Michigan game is intriguing to me because that will either make the middle of the pack more solidified or make it wackier. Um, And here's what I mean by that. Michigan has one win. They beat Penn State. They beat Penn State. But, and so at the moment... They are in that bunch. I would put them alongside that bunch of Ohio State, Penn State, and Johns Hopkins. Add Michigan to that mix, and we really don't know who's going to end up finishing where in the Big Ten. To be honest with you, none of those teams will get into the NCAA tournament unless they win the conference. So let's just put that out there. But where those teams finish and those seeding in the Big Ten tournament, you know, could be partially, I don't want to say set this weekend, but could be partially, um, you know, we could see a precursor to that this weekend. Um, If Michigan beats Johns Hopkins, that keeps Michigan in that conversation. If but they, if they lose that game, they're out of the conversation of that middle of the pack and it's just Ohio State, Penn State and Hopkins. And then Michigan is the basement yet again. But if Michigan wins this one on Saturday, they have an opportunity. Now, when we look at the rest of the schedule for Michigan, it doesn't get easier. Obviously, this is the Big 10. They will have Maryland and Penn State and Rutgers to end the season. However, they've beaten Penn State. So if they can beat Hopkins this second time around after losing uh, 14-7 about what one, two, about five weeks ago. If they can do that, and then if they can beat Penn State a second time around, and even while Penn State is seemingly 
getting the groove back. I'm still not confident that they're going to, you know, necessarily run the table the rest of the way. Certainly, they have Maryland and Rutgers back-to-back weeks. And then you end with Michigan and Ohio State, which are winnable games. They've beaten Ohio State. They beat Hopkins second time around. So, no, theoretically, they could win both those games, but... And I would probably expect them to, but, you know, coming off two, which are going to be losses, like, let's be real here, Maryland and Rutgers, I don't think there's a way that Penn State beats either of those teams. If they do beat one, it will be Rutgers, but I don't see it. So, this game this weekend, Michigan and Hopkins, certainly, certainly, will sort of define what that middle of the pack is going to look like. Um, Even with three weeks to go after this weekend, we'll certainly define kind of who's in the hunt there in the middle, Um, what that second tier is, um, and certainly is an important one for Michigan um, if they want a shot at not being the basement of the Big Ten again this season. So that's just kind of something to look there um, at in the Big Ten. So uh, that one, Michigan and Hopkins, um, I would say is the best game of the weekend in the Big Ten. Um, Most intriguing one on Sunday. We also have Penn State and Maryland, as I said. I think Maryland wins that one handedly. Uh, Rutgers faces Ohio State. Um, I don't think it'll be as bad of a blowout as it was early in the season, the first uh, time around, but I, I still think the Scarlet Knights win pretty handedly. That is all for today's episode. Episode, As always, thank you all for listening. Um, you can find us on the podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio podcast app um, and multiple other platforms. Uh, Leave the five-star review on the Apple podcast. Um, And we have podcasts on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Normally, this weekend, had to shift things around. uh, But normally, it is Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday when we drop episodes. Certainly, during the season. You can find us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Tanner underscore Demling is my personal. LacrosseBucket.com is the website. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the lacrosse this weekend.